This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Vive la République. No political commentary. I'm just happen to be in France at the moment. Um, bear with us for this show because about half an hour before we came on air, the whole internet just went down. So I'm using my phone's hotspot. So this has been quite the experiment. Now, I guess some of you might think, do we need to talk about this anymore? I think I think we've we've all had our fill of uh, of of general monarchist coverage, but it is the the big news story of the time. We talked, of course, last last week. We did do a section on the war in Ukraine. We're still going to talk about it. Well, on the eve, obviously, of the Queen's funeral, it is a mass event. Millions of people, in some form, are participating. Uh, obviously, a, a section of the population are mourning, but there are dissenters myself included, who maybe are not as enamoured with the idea that the head of state happens to be just arbitrarily plucked from families based on who your your bloodline, who you, your, the family you're born into. But I'm just interested generally in the in the in the general royal coverage. What does it mean about British society uh, in the here and now, Britain in 2022? Also, and we're going to be talking very shortly actually with the brilliant uh, Dr Shola on Meghan Markle and Harry because it's impossible not to talk about the monarchy without that and I think what we've seen on social media and in the media in the past few days underlines it shines it's, it's like a um a flare which I think underlines the structural racism within British society it's not just about the treatment of of Meghan Markle, but what that says more broadly, before I bring in Dr. Shirley, because we only have her for a precious 10 or 15 minutes, so we want to get as much out of her as we can. Uh, if you're watching live, do click on the YouTube link, because I know lots of you watch on Facebook, but prefer if you watch on YouTube, and then press the like button and subscribe. Uh, you can use Super Chat to support the show, um, and also to put questions to the guests. I will read out all of the questions uh all of the people at the end and um, thank you personally and obviously use patreon.com uh, forward slash onjoes84 to keep the show on the road we're going to labor party conference next week and then conservative party conference we got all the lucky gigs uh those documentaries are funded by you we pay a videographer to make those videos um out on union wages and we can only do that because of your support rather than various millionaires who aren't that generally supportive. Um, and obviously listen to us on the podcast. Right, I'll just bring Dr. Shola now. Hello, 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 Shola. How are you doing? I'm Great good. How are you going? Good morning. It's... Good morning. So, well, yeah, I mean, I... Well, yeah, it's, it's afternoon. It's afternoon. But it feels... You're fresh. We're all fresh. So let's just pretend it's the morning. Okay. Raring to go. Um, now, Shola, you're one of my favourite people, so it's really great to have you on. We last had you on about a year and a half ago, and I think that was during... We're talking about Meghan Markle, as you'd expect. <laughs> now, I just want to put on... This is something I find astonishing. Mm. Um, and by the way, for those who don't know, Shelley does brilliant books, commentary, 
brilliant commentator, just all round, many hats. Um, do look her up as ever. Let's just, I would just put this document, this clip from a documentary, which is from uh, The Me You Can't See, which I didn't, I didn't know about at the time. And I shared that on social media and people were like, you should have seen this in the first place. But let's just put on a little clip. That was the start of a learning journey for me. I became aware that I'd been living in a bubble within this family, within this institution. And I was sort of almost trapped in a thought process or a mindset. Within the first eight days of our relationship being made public was when said Harry's girl almost straight out of Compton. And that her exotic DNA will be thickening the royal blood. We would get followed, photographed, chased, harassed. The clicking of cameras and the flashes of cameras makes my blood boil. It makes me angry. It takes me back to what happened to my mum, what I experienced when I was a kid. That's enough. But it went to a whole new depth with not just traditional media, but also social media platforms as well. I felt completely helpless. I thought my family would help, but every single ask, request, warning, whatever it is, just got met with total silence or total neglect. Pretty damning stuff, I have to say. I'm really shocked that I didn't see that the first time. I mean, just as an example, before this, just an example of the coverage people might might or might not be aware. So this is an example of Kate Middleton, Daily Mail, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby one while wrapping up her royal duties. Oh, it's all very cutesy. Same thing with Megan, but different angle. Why can't Megan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Experts tackle the question. So that's got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting? Um, and then let's just look, just look in terms of social media, which Prince Harry was referring to there. Here's one viral tweet. The smirk. She couldn't care less. Even holding hands again, walking out, no class, even now disrespecting Queen Elizabeth traditions and protocol. I mean, that's just, mate, it's just deranged. It's just unhinged stuff. Okay. Tell us, just what, what in terms of the last few days with Meghan Markle and what and social media and all the rest of it, just give us a kind of general, your general sense of what's been happening. It's just been pure madness. It's insanity intensify. Um, okay, so first of all, I want, I, I want us to be able to put this in the right context. Before the Queen died, about two or so weeks before the Queen died, the entire world, it seemed like the entire Western world, let's, let's give it that way from, from Britain to the US to Australia and the like, it was all about Meghan Markle, right? Because of her Archetypes podcast and the interview that she gave. Back to back, back to back, it was coverage after coverage, negative coverage after coverage, right? And of course, social media went afire with it. And then the Queen passed away. Harry and Meghan happened to be in the UK. Before they came into the UK, of course, the conversations was around them. Are they going to see the Queen? They come to the UK, then the Queen passes, and look at the, the, the depth of the conversations around them. It's almost as though there's... It's not even almost as though we know that there's nothing Meghan Markle would do that would satisfy these people. So you, you know, the examples you gave around, you know, holding, cradling the bump. It's so ridiculous. Many women do that. I did that with my three babies. You know, either you, you want to connect with the baby or maybe you need to just quickly scratch an itch because, you know, your belly's stretching, whatever it is. But for her to be continually faced with this abuse, and then look at that comment around, the comments around Harry and Meghan holding hands, 
oh my God, that must be a cardinal sin, right? And then them calling her facial expression smirk, a smirk. Okay, let me tell you what a smirk looks like. Pretty deported and Patel has a permanent smirk. That is what a smirk looks like. Not Megan Markle. I mean, the, just the comparison and the continual abuse, it, it just makes no sense. I am way past trying to understand why people cannot question for themselves, why am I behaving this way to her? Is there some truth to the systemic racism, the, the, um, the bias that maybe this is coming from a place of bias, racial bias, racial microaggression, that I'm feeding it, that I'm complicit in it? They don't want to ask themselves those questions. Now, when I looked at that um, video that you just shared, I remember thinking to myself, this is so, it's almost like you take his, you take his video, put it side by side with Princess Diana's video. Tell me what the difference is. There is no difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, Princess Diana shared that she was being called sick, mentally ill, that they wanted to keep her in some home. They were isolating her ostracizing her in order to dismantle her personality. And that's exactly what they're doing to Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. We see it. This is why people should call it out. I mean, before I ask just in terms of what he said about the royal family, which is very damning, this was a study by BuzzFeed uh, last year, which showed a coordinated campaign of hate against Meghan, a concentrated set of users drive 70% of the hate content. So apparently it was, it was only a few dozen. So 70% is just responsible for, um, sorry, a few dozen. I think it was about 83 accounts responsible for 70%. So this is like a coordinated factory of hatred online. Right. But it's a coordinated factory of hatred that is aided and abetted, led by, organized by British media. People with real faces, real names. And as far as I'm concerned, the royal family is complicit in this. So when he says that his family did not help, I, as a mother, I cannot begin to comprehend how that, how anybody could possibly justify that. How can Charles justify that? How could the queen, you know, how, how could she even justify it? And, and, and can I just say to everyone, I want everyone to just pause right now and think about this. Have you noticed there's been not one single, not a single bad press about Camilla since she married King Charles? Mm -hmm. Think about it. You know that while Princess Diana was alive and shortly after her death, the world was like, hey, you, we know what you did. We knew all of that. People were mm -hmm. into her. But the moment she got married, we've not heard zilch, nada. And what does that tell you? It means that the royal family, King Charles has the power to nip this in the bud. And I don't want to sound all conspiracy theorists or anything like that. But it almost, it makes me wonder whether... You know, whenever we hear palace sources, the secretive palace sources and the royal experts, I wonder whether or not Meghan Markle, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are being fed to the press in order to cover something else up, to distract from something else happening with the royal family. Because notice how the royal family, i.e. the monarchy as an institution, they defended Prince Andrew. They brought out statements in defense of Prince Andrew. They did not do anything on the soft for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Not once. Not, not, not to protect her, not to do anything. I mean, Harry had to do the unprecedented thing of coming out and speaking out against the racial undertones being used by the press. Nobody in that royal family did that. So then now in 2022, 2021, 
you have the lots of Prince William coming out and saying, oh, that's just disastrous. That's just terrible. The racism being faced by the footballers, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, boy, better hold back those words because you have no legitimacy here. If you could not speak out against the racism your own sister-in-law was facing, then now nah, this is just performative and we see through you. And this is the point. This is why I think even with the Queen's passing, I don't understand why the monarchy can't see that every action they take will be interpreted towards, you know, towards their legitimacy, towards their relevance. Because how can I trust a king who can't protect his son? If you can't protect your son, you can't protect me. How can I trust an institution that is meant to be there to serve us, but could not even protect its own daughter-in-law, granddaughter-in-law, and, and son from mental health issues, could not support them. That means when you, when you come with all the, oh, mental health is a very, but I'm like, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're talking out of your other whatever, because I don't believe you. If you can't take care of those closest to you, I do not trust that you can take care of me. I mean, I mean, it's such a critical point that because obviously that's how they're set up. They're supposed to be the guardians of the nation or whatever. That's how people. There was one Tory MP approvingly referred to their small child, saying, um, "You know, King Charles will look after us now." Which I'm quite sure that means in practical terms. But in terms of, um, you know, you made that point with Prince Andrew and the, you know, his a former associate of the prolific uh, paedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Um, I mean, what does what Harry says about the royal family is 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 utterly damning. I mean, what do you think in terms of, you know, in in terms of what that says about the institution of monarchy? What he's talking about? What does it tell us about King Charles and the institution itself of monarchy? I think you take what Prince Harry said, and then look at the past week since King Charles became since Charles became king. We heard in that his I think his first speech, him express love for Prince Harry and Meghan. And at first I thought, well, that ex public expression of love, maybe that will go some way in pushing back the detractors and haters, right? I thought maybe. But then they started to mess up. There was a military uniform. He can't wear it. Why can't he wear it? Oh, we weren't given any good reason. I'm like, this is a, I mean, he's not a boy anymore, but you know, I kind of feel like I'm an auntie to Harry, but this is a young man who served his country who rose up in the ranks, who did two tours, right? Who has been supporting injured world veterans, the founder of Invict Invicta Games. I'm sorry, who else is worthy out of you lot to wear the military uniform? And why allow it to be a subject of conversation? And then they did a U-turn. And then we hear about, ooh, they were invited. Now they're uninvited. It's almost to me, it almost it seems to me that Charles must know that we can see this is intentional. Because if you place your own child in a position to be a subject of mockery, a mm -hmm. subject of continued abuse, that people will take every single word you say, they will tear it apart, right? And attack mm -hmm. your child, and more importantly, your child's, your child's wife. It yeah. tells me that you know what you're doing because the royal family have had four years or more. They should, they should understand the blueprint of the systemic, endemic hate that Meghan Markle has been facing because she's a biracial woman. I mean, don't, don't be fooled by the, oh, we just don't like her because, okay, well, what's the because? Well, she did this. Uh, who said she did it? Were you there? 
Because she said that, okay, who said she said this? Were you there? And the so-called sources can't even come up and say, I'm the one that said this. I, those are the palace sources. And the royal experts, all they do is speculate. Mm. These are people, don't let me start naming names because I'll be happy to, but don't let me start naming names. Let me focus, right? These so-called royal experts, <laughs> the queen would not be able to pick them out of a crowd of peasants. Yet they have the utter caucasity to open their mouths and say, well, the queen would be most displeased. The queen doesn't know you. Yeah. I mean, you're not royalty. You were never part of the royal family, but your soul wanted to be close and, you know, in proximity to everything, the symbol of the, of the monarchy that you're creating protocols mm. where they don't exist. I mean, what kind of unhinged human being gets upset that a husband and wife are holding hands at a time of mourning? People who clearly have nothing better in their lives to do. Don't, don't just, la just lastly, because I know we've got to, because I know your, your kids for start need to use the internet, which we've banned them from doing, so we can talk to you. Just la lastly, there's an interesting piece, I say interesting, in the Sunday Times. Was the Queen the ultimate feminist? Her children took her name. She changed succession laws, and for all her studied inscrutability, Elizabeth II had a power beyond words as a monarch. The Queen is a feminist icon. Are you kidding me? Okay, let, let's just break this down right now. Like, I read that and I'm laughing my head off. So first of all, she's no feminist icon to me, okay? Let, let, let me help people break this down. She got the role by inheriting it. That, that's it, it's inheritance, right? And I do not see any young child, any young girl in this country that will look up to the queen and go, oh, that would be me one day. One day I'll be queen of the United Kingdom. No child can do that. Certainly not a black or brown child. We know that. So I'm sorry, she's icon for who? And yes, she did do something to change the primogeniture laws, laws right? We know that. So that um, yeah, uh, girls in the succession lines are not outpaced by their brothers. That's a good thing. But look at when she did it. First of all, she benefited from the hard work that ordinary working class women in this country had fought for in order to be able to, so she benefited from the change in society, the evolution in society. The queen in her 70 years as, 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 as queen did not publicly, vocally, visibly stand up for gender equality or stand against gender inequality. I mean, there's so many women, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of women that visibly broke down structural barriers so that girls, I was once upon a girl. I know, I, I know I'm a woman now, I know. But I was able to look up to them. And young girls today, including my three daughters, can look up to them and go, oh, one day I'm going to be a lawyer, a doctor, an entrepreneur. One day I'm going to go into space. I will start my own business. I will, I will do multiple things. Because you see, those are the women those are the icons. They changed society. Not Queen Elizabeth II. And every single thing she did to change the laws benefited her family. Didn't benefit you. Didn't benefit me. So I'm sorry. What kind of feminist icon is that? But again, look, I, I respect that everybody has their standards. Some people just have a very low threshold. I mean, because that's a very low standard. If all you had to do was inherit a role and people just out of reverence and deference, start to give you exaggerated epitaphs, then well, well done. And you see, the only reason I'm, I'm responding this way, I need people to understand, 
and many people who are responding this way about um, the passing of, of the queen. It's not because we don't want to be respectful about your right to, to mourn her or what you want to say about her. It's because you are now being disrespectful to us with your whitewashing and the lies. You know, here I am trying to stay back and they keep raining me back in. I'm like, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up. This is Shola now trying to just eat her jollof rice, chill out, be cool, let you people do your thing. And every single time you're bombarding me with world war coverage. Oh, she did this. She was Queen Elizabeth the Great. No, she was not. What the hell is the great? I mean, please, somebody to find out for me. So yeah, that whole thing about feminist icon, I don't agree with it. I don't believe she was an icon. I do not believe, I. even if she was, was she a feminist? I would like to know what that is because we know that the whole understanding of what feminism was and how people refer to them as to themselves as feminists changed over time. So that there was a time that we know that some women did not even want to refer to themselves as feminists. So would Queen Elizabeth have, have referred to herself as feminist? That would be great to know, but we don't know. We know nada, absolutely nada. But because people have romanticized Queen Elizabeth so much, they're now trying to bridge the gap. They know nothing about her. Okay, that's the truth. You do not know, neither do I know, but what we do know is what she did not do with the power she had. And let me just quickly add this point. People immediately go, how dare you? That woman, that Shola woman, how dare you? She didn't have any power. She was powerless. Uh, did you just say that she had power? I mean, that, 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 that headline you just showed said, she was a powerful monarch. Liz Truss said, she was she was the reason Britain is great as it is today. Okay, she can't be the reason for your greatness and not have power. Hey, people, are we speaking Latin or Swahili? Aren't we speaking English here? You can't write in plain English. Then when we deconstruct your plain English, tell us that what you wrote is not what it means. I know it's Sunday, but people, please don't try my patience. Okay, I'm just trying to be, just trying to be chill today. Get through tomorrow because I 20th September cannot come soon enough. Honestly, Shelley, we're both going to get arrested for treason and thrown in the tower. But that's fine. That's the that's the price we pay for expressing our opinions. <laughs> Shelley, honestly, there's so much love in the comments for you, which is unsurprising. Yeah, because you are as ever sensational, just so on point, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Everyone, go and buy. This is why I resist by Shelley. That's a brilliant book. Can't recommend it enough. So do go and just go and order it now. Just right, right this second. Uh, Shola, honestly, such an honor. You've got to go and let your kids use the internet now. So we'll obviously have to eject you for that, for the for Wi-Fi brand, bandwidth purposes. <laughs> but uh, lots, endless love. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, you take care. Brilliant stuff there from Shola. Um, if you're watching on Facebook, do click on the YouTube link and join us there. But let's just bring in Aaron Bastani. Hello, Aaron. How you doing, mate? Boo, can you hear me? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I can hear you loud and clear, Owen. You're in France, I hear? I am trying to finish my book in the middle of nowhere. So there's a slight technological disaster, Aaron, because the Wi-Fi has gone down. So I'm using my hotspot. So if I just crash off air, just take over. Is <laughs> what I'm trying to <laughs> just take, just stage a coup d'etat. Won't be the first um, one, don't worry. <laughs> not the first Aaron Bastali-led coup. Um, Aaron, where do we even begin? Let's start. Let's start with a let's start with a Q, which is going to be capitalized. Um, you've had a lot to say on this, so I'm very interested in this. So in fact, you shared this very clip. So let's just see the BBC, the BBC, the uh, crown and jewel of 
political reporting and general journalism. Let's have a seat. Heads of state, and that is going to be uh, quite a gathering here at Buckingham Palace. All right, let's get the latest on the queue. Uh, we are hearing it still about 16 let's hours. Let's get the I latest think, on the queue. Time, uh, to get to see the Queen's coffin lying let's in state. Get... Let's go to Catty <laughs> Kay, who's at Westminster is... for us. Catty. This is my country. Yeah, We're going to get the yeah, latest on the queue. Speaking to people in the queue, you're talking about the dignitaries, Ben. So we use the clip where a viewer is is taking part. There's a bit of audience participation there. It's the clip you uh, shared. So I was just quite interested in it. What's wrong? You know, what's wrong with getting a, just a general update on the kit? We get updates on the weather and updates on general goings on. Why not have a just a live commentary on a on a queue? Aaron? What's the what's your problem? Well, if it was a sort of sweet self mocking story that was even mentioned once every couple of hours i get it you know it's a bit of light relief it's a national event hundreds of thousands of people are going to pay their respects to the queen i get it but it, it's almost like a feature of rolling news you know um owen it's like we have embedded journalists in the queue and i i think it does highlight this very strange intersection of celebrity banality what passes for politics in this country it's not politics and the media. Uh, and for me, it's just that it's just, it's the sweet spot of all of them. So I think it does tell us a lot. So people say, oh, Aaron, Owen, why are you criticizing people queuing? No, I think it's actually quite indicative of, of, of why we have major problems with the media in this country. Yeah, I'm going to keep talking about the queue, actually, because, you know, I think just 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 to fuel that. Look, I'm just going to I'm not going to put a tinfoil hat on. I think this is an entirely reasonable point that the queue is completely contrived. So, for example, as lots of people have made this point, but I'll just give one example. Professor Alice Roberts, think about the queue. Could there not have been a simple ticket system in time slots? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there could have been. There wouldn't then have been this massive queue, which then would have been part of this great national spectacle. They've done this on purpose, haven't they? They've literally they could easily obviously then you huge amounts london bridge is the operation that kicks into action when the queen dies this has been planned for years years and years and years meticulous details all the rest of it this queue is a complete fabrication isn't it because they could have just and actually let's be honest there's lots of elderly people and vulnerable people and disabled people in this country who want to pay their respects i'm not sure maybe there is a particular system there i'm not sure there is they've done this but what i'm just saying is this is a complete fabrication isn't it it's not actually necessary to have a queue in this way I think so. I don't think, and I don't see why anybody would say that's tin foil hat. I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree that what we're in the middle of here is a, a massive moment of political theatre. And even the defenders and advocates of monarchy say, well, this is what it does best. It, it provides a spectacle which brings the country together. And that's exactly what the queue is. It's a spectacle. And you're absolutely right. If they were given the choice between a highly efficient, you have to wait 20 minutes and we'll give you a, you know, a, a number or a piece of paper or a QR code and you can come back at a lot of time. They wouldn't do that because it doesn't provide the spectacle. Like you say, this is the point. This is the point. We have this sublime of the country coming together, which, of course, is very difficult because there's 65 million people in this country. Many disagree. So how do you, from that material, create this, this vision of solidarity, togetherness, and consensus around how we all feel? Well, this is a great way to do it. So you're absolutely right. Of course, it's part of the plan. And, uh, yeah, it's been... I wish we planned the economy, Owen, like we plan our... Uh, our pageantry and ceremony around the monarchy in this country would be a lot wealthier and more prosperous. Yeah, we don't want the queues though. Um, in terms of the people, so BBC, apparently the BBC said about the queue, the BBC said the queue to see the Queen is so long it can be seen from space. Mm. So let's just have an example. Let's just see that in practical terms. You can see individual people from space. Like you can... <laughs> you, and also, just looking at that, I mean, you could kind of work out that's a queue, I suppose, if you were kind of looking for it. Yeah, it's not 
it's just that's just a, that's just a comment on technology now, isn't it? That you can use low orbiting satellites, spyware to just zone in. <laughs> Just mad. Just um, mad. Because the, the, just another aspect, we're just not talking about the queue. I just, I just think it's funny. Uh, so the, Philip's got. There's been a biggest. This is a big scandal. It's Holly Holly Willoughby, who everyone loves. I think. And Philip Schofield got a lot of this. Philip Schofield grew up with Philip Schofield on live and was it live and kicking? Anyway, going live maybe. Anyway, looking very morose, very sad. Mm-hmm. But they skipped the queue, or did they? Because according to this morning, they're actually just filming. Um, but I found that funny because it was this idea of people getting angry about what are you saying? Imposing a privileged hierarchy. This is supposed to be an egalitarian moment to worship mm. the institution of monarchy. Yeah. It's amusing. Yeah, and it also captures what 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 the institution of constitutional monarchy is meant to is meant to mean. So, and we saw it in this kind of very puzzling article by Paul Mason with the New European. But actually, he gave voice to some of the the presumptions around around. The House of Windsor, so it's at once aristocratic but democratic. It's at once exclusive but popular. It's at once prestigious and archaic, but also you know it falls prey to the cult of celebrity. And I think this is a, again a great snapshot of the contradictions of of how we view our society and our politics. Britain is a, a remarkable country, remarkable, because it gave rise basically to the world's first nationalism, um, but it's at the same time tied up with an empire that no longer exists. And a set of feudal institutions like like the crown, and yet we're in the 21st century pretending that it's normal. It's not. It wasn't normal 200 years ago. It certainly isn't normal now. And, and that contradiction really highlights that. But quickly on on Philip Schofield, Owen, I think he's in big trouble. I think he's cancelled. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think that you, you you know I, I remember Gordon the Gopher too. I don't say that with any happiness, Owen, but uh, and the BBC broom cupboard. But I think hey, he's cancelled. Ed the Duck. Did he do? Did he? No, I'm not sure he presented that was no, that was Andy Peters, wasn't it? Sorry, that was Andy Peters, up. yeah. It's Gordon Andy the Peters. Gopher. Yeah, Gordon the Gopher. I get mixed up because it was going. Do you remember what Trevor Simon swing your pants? Do you remember that? Swing your pants with no. Trevor Simon. Well, anyway, Philip Schofield presented that. Sorry, just having a little um geriatric millennial moment there with that one. We're getting I didn't bring up the Paul Mason article because I kind of think now do we need to discuss Paul Mason? Um, but you've brought it up, so we're gonna have to do just explain a bit more what his article was was arguing because i just think it's an interesting thing you raised oh god well it's crazy well paul paul has this habit of saying how about we do the most radical thing possible and embrace the status quo that's 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 his thing that's been his thing for the last several years quite strange really but what was interesting about that article is it gave voice to how a lot of constitutional monarchists see the monarchy they say well okay yes it's a it's a monarchy yes they sit at the top of this hugely unequal distribution of wealth in society and particularly land because it's like I say feudal so of course it's very tied up to, to ideas of the land and um, he said but well, this is basically a republic and people say well what's a republic republic in, in sort of republican political theory let's go back all the way to the Romans republica res populi the public good is the people's thing it basically means self-government mm-hmm. and it basically means you know putting the people first popular sovereignty and <laughs> You know, Owen, I don't think people need to have a PhD in political theory to realise that monarchy and republics are quite different things. But the beauty of, of the Windsors and the constitutional monarchy in this country is that they can sell one as the other. You know, yes, this chap owns Cornwall. Yes, they don't even have to put toothpaste on their own toothbrushes. Yes, you know, the Queen's dad and uncle were king emperors. But actually, we're a republic. I mean, come on. This is The, the thing that angers me most, Owen, is 
is the intellectual laziness. And that's that's all all of this is. Oh, well, you know, fascism doesn't happen in constitutional monarchies. Fascism literally emerged in a constitutional monarchy in Italy in the 1920s. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, the amount In the end, the king laziness. dismissed Mussolini. That's why, that technically, that's what happened. The king dismissed Mussolini in 1943. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, I, the, the amount of laziness, like, it's just, it's all of this is built on a, a I don't want to swear because I'm sure you have a very, you know, elegant viewership, don't want to hear me swearing on a Sunday morning, but it's all built on this pile of laziness and mental sloppiness. And yet, that's sort of dressed up as, oh yeah, no, I've really thought hard about this, and actually, we're a, we're a, you know, a, you know, a Republican monarchy. No, you just can't be asked to maybe say things that might be controversial, or also actually apply some thinking here, maybe do some reading, you know. And, and, we, and look, lots of people don't have time to do that, but I would hope that somebody writing articles for a living, like Paul Mason does, that's that's in the words of Roy Keane, that's your job. We've done the Paul Mason slot. I think it was necessary. There were, there, were, there were arrests and general police harassment of protesters, including one young lad. Oh, God, I really have got old. I'm calling people young lads. Anyway, he, uh, he, uh, because he heckled uh, Prince Andrew. Let's just see how he defended that heckle. Uh, powerful men should be allowed to commit sexual crimes and get away with it. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. He said powerful men shouldn't be allowed to commit sexual crimes and get away with it. Of course, alleged, I should say. Prince Andrew was an associate of Jeffrey Epstein, who was objectively a serial paedophile. And then Prince Andrew paid out up to $12 million to Virginia Jeffrey, um, who made allegations of sexual assault against Prince Andrew when she was 17 years old. The Queen herself, of course, obviously paid, um, is believed to have bailed him out in that regard. What do you think about this? These are, I mean, then Keir Starmer came out and said, well, this is the human rights champion, fighter for civil liberties. People shouldn't ruin people's, shouldn't ruin the event for everybody else. Yeah, well, what, what do you think? I mean, I think they kind of, the backlash, they kind of, the police seem to have maybe rolled back a bit. But what, what, what does this tell us? Yeah, I think they were wise to roll back because, of course, then the headlines all become about Prince Andrew and his associations with literally the world's most famous paedophile, <laughs> which if you have a sense of, you know, Intelli a, a, a modicum of intelligence, rather. You're not. You're not going to do that. My my colleague Ash Sarker, I think, put it. Um, 
she 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 has put this all really really well in terms of in terms of Andrew and in terms of his power and and it's important to say look we we as republicans didn't choose a political system whereby there is the transition and the transfer of power when somebody dies that's not disrespectful on our part that's the choice of monarchists that's 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 often actually why the system is quite unstable people talk about you know monarchies are so stable well no when you have a transition of power only when somebody dies or you know steps down from the throne you know abdicates i don't you know, that actually historically we know that doesn't really give rise to much stability no. maybe more so in the last sort of 100 years but historically not really so i i don't i don't agree with the oh it's disrespectful because well this is a transition of of executive power. We still have power of royal prerogative in this country. The, the monarch is still a major player in our political constitutional system. And if you want to protest against that, as is your right, well, you have no choice because this is how monarchists want the transition of power to look. So I don't think it's disrespectful. I think you have a right to protest against how our political, political system works. And I think you, of course, have a right to highlight the kinds of gross crimes that Prince Andrew stands accused of, not just sexual assault, battery as well. I think it's three counts. Uh, of somebody who's 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 trafficked. I don't think anybody's con you know contending that Virginia Dufresne wasn't um, subject to trafficking. Maybe that is. I don't know what is contested in terms of the U.S. courts, but mm -hmm. these are really, really, really significant claims. They were put to bed, like you said, with money fr from his mother, you know, um, former Queen Elizabeth II. So I think it speaks to a kind of moral rot if you think that somebody shouldn't be allowed to protest against that. I think it does say quite a lot about the the the, the absence of actual ethics yeah. in this country, I, and I, I, I that does make me really worried actually. Because yeah, I was checking. Go on. I, I was checking my Facebook uh, page inbox um, yesterday, which I I don't I'm not always on the ball with, and a guy messaged going, "I'm gonna heckle, I'm gonna heckle King Charles," and he and this is. This is the guy. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Charles, on the struggle to heat our homes, we have to pay for your parade. Thank you for coming. The taxpayer pays 100 million for you. What for? Um, it's just funny because then he messaged me afterwards going, I did it. It's just very funny because I didn't actually check his, I didn't check my inbox in time. Um, yeah, I mean, I found this actually, what, what, more, more to the point, uh, the New York Times did a article uh, which is looking at basically fleshing out that guy's claims uh in in a in a journalistic way um it set off not just you'd expect kind of right-wing commentators but kind of centrist commentators who went into i'd say near hysteria um about the new york times and how offended they it's just it's just so upsetting it's just why would you say this right we hate you and they all can start canceling their subscriptions um and all the rest of it. And I just find it a really interesting insight into how certain journalists see their position in terms of, you know, they're literally personally, it's like you've insulted their mother. That's how they were behaving. Like the New York Times had done a hatchet job on their mothers um, when they're actually, it's just talking about the British establishment and the monarchy. It's, it's an interesting kind of insight, isn't it, in terms of deference to power and the establishment that a lot of journalists are kind of open about in this country, to be honest. Yes, there's two points. I mean, that what that gentleman was doing wasn't heckling. You know, he heckling is saying, "Yeah, you bastard." Well, he he was just he was highlighting a fact, a, set of fa a series of facts. You know, uh, and again, they're not really contestable facts. Of course, that's heckling. It's disgusting. It's beyond the pale. How could you say something which is, you know, factually incontestable? The thing about the NYT, Owen, I find really interesting because you and I have seen this up close and personal in the British media. I mean, you more than anybody. 
But you also were aware of, I, I think, probably before becoming a journalist, which is the central commitment to the British political establishment across the parties is a commitment to Atlanticism and a deference to the United States establishment. Just it, it, this is like we have to do this. We're no longer the world's superpower, hyperpower, but we do get quite a lot of, you know, perks out of being their number one subordinate. And that, that's just that's just a matter of, you know, national policy. And now you see the world's most successful English speaking newspaper. That's what The New York Times is. Um, it's got more web traffic than any English speaking newspaper. It's got more subscribers. Uh, it's commercially just a, it's a massive it's a massively successful newspaper. And what you're seeing is people with like quite small sort of right wing blogs. This is the world's worst newspaper or Christian Calgi from, you know, the little factotum that works for Guido Fawkes, order, order .com, saying you are a global, you know, I don't know, global embarrassment. Well, no, and they, these people can't you're journalists. Right. No, he said he said you're journalists yeah. of a global embarrassment. And he's this guy who works at this troll site. Yeah, you're a little bag carrier for some guy, you know, some little tax avoider that lives in Ireland with a website in, in Westminster. Fine. You, you know, but I think for these people, Britain lost a lot after 1945. But what it did have still was to be treated uniquely by the United States. We're not just another country. Right. And I think what the New York Times sort of coverage of this is, I don't agree with all of it, by the way, but I don't agree with the paper on anything all the time. But, but it's basically treating Britain like a larger version of the Netherlands or Sweden. And I think for them, that's like, how could you? It's like the ultimate betrayal, because how else do you explain this, this incredibly visceral sense of animosity and anger? I also think actually it shows, I mean, this is going a bit off piece, but I'm interested in it. So we should just talk about it a bit more, which is, you know, because the New York Times, historically, it's not some, you know, I'm, I'm not besmirching its reputation, but it's not some big radical newspaper. I mean, the New York Times backed the Iraq war, mm. uh, for example. I mean, they, I think they kind of apologized for that afterwards, to be fair. But, you know, but they, you know, they've got some brilliant journalists, they've done some brilliant journalism. And they're, a, you know, they're a liberal newspaper. And I think it just shows how a lot of British liberals have been radicalized over the last few years. They've become what mm. maybe we would describe as agrocentrists who define their politics above all else against the left. They see the left mm -hmm. as the most morally outrageous, disgraceful uh, wing of the political spectrum, not a racist, authoritarian, right-wing, conservative government that's actually in power and actually is introducing laws with devastating impacts on actual people's lives. I mean, that it just seems there's been a divergence because I think a lot of those sorts of liberals, you're right, very Atlanticist in approach and would look up to the kind of liberal establishment um, in the United States. But there has been, I mean, you saw it, you know, when the withdrawal from Afghanistan with Biden and then a lot of them were kind mm. of like, ah, oh, it's a doubt. But there is, it, it's quite interesting isn't it, that, that a certain type of British erstwhile liberal, I don't know what they are now, have radicalised in a very specific way, which actually means now they see mainstream American liberals in a very different way than they would have done maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, so we see that on a bunch of issues, right? I mean, it depends who you're talking about, because, of course, not these these British liberals all, all don't believe in the same thing, but it can be LGBT rights. It can be foreign policy. Like you say, I mean, you had these people saying, we need to stay in Afghanistan. Even if the Americans don't, Britain has to stay. It's, well, that's a death sentence for every Brit British, you know, member of the armed forces in Afghanistan. That We can't we can't do that. It's just not realistic. So, yeah, it is interesting. And I know, and like you say, the the... the what seems to me, what's the legacy? We've been 14 years after the global financial crisis, British liberalism, historically, this major tradition. What's its big legacy in the last 14 years? Well, one is trying to stop Brexit. It failed. And the other one, and I think this is actually the bigger one, is hatred of the left. And you look at, like, 
the, the New York Times, you've got Paul Krugman, who's not a radical, right? But these are people who've adapted to the last 14 years. They say interesting things. You look at the Netherlands, you've got people like Rutger Bregman, a liberal, but he says really interesting things, wants to solve political and social problems. And then you look at the UK and you go, well, where's our Paul Krugman or our Rutger Bregman? And they, they sort of don't exist. Yeah. And I, I think that's really, really, really interesting. And like you say, that the primary legacy of this incredibly turbulent political period from British sort of the British liberal intelligentsia, what are they? I don't know. They, they've been buying J.K. Rowling books in their 30s and a hatred of the left. That's it. So very, again, very interesting. And polarization, of course, on the left, we love that because people are coming to the left. I mean, you're right. You, on on trans rights, you're right. Because a lot of British liberals or centrists essentially have the same position on trans rights as like the hardcore Republican mm. right. We're talking like, yeah, so that's an interesting case. Right, we'll go back to the royals just to kind of find out, but just interesting kind of, you know, for example, looking at the polling. This is quite interesting. So the polling showed that people were not at all convinced about Charles as a king. Consistently, those who think he would be a good king rattled around 32% in May, but between 32 and 39% at the most. Uh, bad king, again, about a third of the population. As soon as the queen dies, suddenly there's a massive transformation in people's views. 63% think he's a good, will be a good king. Only 15% say not, 22% unsure. What's happened there and what does it tell us about maybe the future prospects of republicanism? Because a lot of people who, you know, kind of Republican believers, there's which been relatively silent because I think most people who support a republic decide it's not really the hill they want to die on. There's other more pressing issues. I think that's just a fair comment. Um, but nonetheless, polling suggests about a quarter of the population would support monarchy and amongst younger people often a plurality support, people of colour as well, more support a republic than not. So you can see growing populations heading in a republican direction. You know, the idea was that the Queen was their star player. Like, no one really had any negative views about the Queen. She's quite an aloof character. We didn't really see much of her, but no, she didn't do anything that people deemed offensive in public, generally speaking. Obviously, very little scrutiny. But there was this idea, well, the King Charles is far more polarising, so actually that will make the monarchy's future... Uh, more under question. But what do you think? Is that polling just a temporary bump because of the kind of hysteria on the television and everyone thinks it's indecent to say anything else? His mum's just died. Or maybe this is enough to just secure the monarchy. You know, he's this This is just the media. Media operation goes brrr and people fall into line for the long term. What do you think? Well, I think in England, I think there's going to be a, a majority support for the monarchy for a long time. I mean, probably for the rest of our lives. I mean, who knows? You know, events can change you look at Juan Carlos in Spain for instance you know his ratings just capsized overnight he had to he had to step down actually um in Scotland Wales Northern Ireland's separate so let's just put that to one side but in Scotland and Wales I think it is a different story and I think a lot of goodwill towards the Queen as the embodiment of the institution dissipates with with Charles now that's just a hypothesis right let's see we, we, we've seen a bit of confirmation with that you saw for instance Dundee United fans booing at Ibrox yesterday not many, let's say 100 people, but the point is I don't think that was even thinkable in England. You had the booing of um, King Charles in Cardiff. So I think there's different sort of logics at work here. I think in answer to that question, Owen, though, I, I do think it's just a, a bit of a blip. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that I think, you know, Charles is going to precipitate a, a republic, but it, it's natural for people to show goodwill to somebody who's just lost their mum, who's new in the job. It's something we can all sort of sympathise with. And, and I do think we we underestimate how how extraordinarily 
the queen and and prince philip could channel sort of multiple generations of of public sentiment you know i was watching a video on tiktok there's loads of videos of prince philip on tiktok owen and there was one of um him saying how he visited japan in like the 60s and they said is this the first time you're here and he was there for the he was there for the surrender of japan in 1945 he, he claimed um i don't know how maybe he was on an island with the Royal Navy or is actually on mainland Japan? I don't know. But he said he was present there and how that was kind of embarrassing. And I thought, wow, the sort of the incredible national moments that these people were there for, even just sociologically, you understand this incredible deference for them and what they endured, right? With the Second World War, living in Malta, et cetera. What's, what's, what's Prince Charles really sort of been through? He's been this faux celebrity character. For most people globally, he's known as the sort of husband of Princess Diana. So... I do think some of that will subside. Um, and I do think there's a good chance that his his tenure as king will mean the end of the union. But a republic in England, I think, would be extraordinary. You know, don't write it off. I don't think people thought Charles the Charles the First was, you know, gonna be a goner in the 1620s or whenever it was, uh, or the 1630s. But I would be I would be very surprised. But I do think he'll amplify sort of Republican energies in in the in the, the Celtic fringe, so to speak, for sure. Simeon Wakely on, uh, just to feed the super chats, but wasn't quite critical. This is inappropriate to be discussing this at the time. At this time, the Queen has been the only constant person in the past 70 years. She has been there for us. The super chat. you got some interesting super chats. I mean, um, I saw, you know, she's been there for us. I saw, I've seen some great sort of comments about this. Quite thoughtful, actually. So one was, you know, Limmy uh, on Twitch. And people were saying she's had an exceptional life. And he said... I hope so. We paid for it. I would hope I would hope she had an exceptional life. You know, the taxpayer paid for her to have an exceptional life, live in exceptional places, meet exceptional people, to, you know, to sit on top of the sort of the the, the top of the country constitutionally. I would hope she had an exceptional life. If she hadn't, something's gone very badly wrong. And then another one was, and again, this is just speaking facts, right? This is not you could be I think you could be a monarchist and probably say that. And another one was she outlasted 15 um, prime ministers or 16 prime ministers, whatever the numbers were. And you think, well, yeah, she she lived. She lived a long time. That's what she did. I mean, it's not really an accomplishment. It wasn't like she could have been voted out. She was the monarch. You know, if she'd lived another five or six years, it would have been another prime minister or two more prime ministers. So the sort of the rhetoric around this about accomplishment and exceptional. Well, I mean, yeah, she's the monarch. I mean, that's the point. And again, go back to Roy Keane. That's her job. She's she's meant to be there while all the prime ministers going out of the door. That's 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 the that's the job description. Again, very Tad Campbell. Sorry, go on. Carry on, carry on, carry on. No, I just think that the failure to even look at things remotely analytically, it goes back to what I said before, Owen, about lazy, sloppy thinking. It's incredible. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Tad Canwell says, I mean, it, that's, that's fair enough. If things go down like Charles I, can you avoid a new model army crossing the Irish Sea and making our streets run red with blood? You're most humble and obedient servant, Ted. That is, of course, referring to Britain's only experiment with, uh, with a republic, which was the Commonwealth established after the English uh, Civil War. And it's quite right to say that Cromwell unleashed hell and mayhem in Ireland. So yes, I would agree. Any future republic has to avoid going down that particular route. Um, FSM of the dog, when, when will the media report on the queue for the NHS? Very good point, obviously. The record um, queue, the waiting lists for the NHS, and obviously various hospital appointments have been cancelled due to the Queen's death. There was someone quite movingly speaking about their dad with lung cancer. They've been waiting for the appointment. This was a journalist waiting for the uh, their appointment, which got cancelled 
um, for this Monday. Nishat, we cannot have a true meritocrat meritocratic democracy or the head of state is a her hereditary monarch. People face starvation, energy, poverty, while the media and politicians indulge in a carnal degree. I mean, that is the point. I mean, again, a lot, obviously it's going to get a lot of coverage. Like, it's never, we think we just, you know, longest reigning monarch, whatever we think about it, huge numbers of people are invested in this. It's just pointless pretend otherwise. I'd be interested in the TV viewing figures because when the Duke of Edinburgh died, they they fell quite steeply because people kind of got, got the gist and kind of switched off. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's the point, isn't it? It's about, it's it's priorities, which uh, in terms of the, the very social, the social emergency facing this country did not, get cancelled or suspended it, it, it carries on and yet the the amount of media coverage which is commensurate with that emergency is not there yeah and one more thing as well i, I want to say is we're, we're told that three or four hundred thousand people queuing to see the queen a lot of people i don't know the numbers but let's say it's hundreds of thousands in the end i mean it might not be i think it is strange how republicans sort of talk up the, the establishment's arguments are, the queue's 24 hours. Well, I think somebody told me at the beginning when they were there, it was five hours, but whatever. Let's say there's hundreds of thousands of people there. Well, it is interesting how that is a snapshot of the country, yet 12 million people voting for Labour in the 2019 general election. Well, that that's barely anyone. Hmm. You no, know, it's important to say, yeah, of course, it's a lot of people, but I think more people voted Green in the 2015 general election. You know, uh, of course, the cost of entry to voting as opposed to going somewhere and waiting, they're very different. But in, the, in terms of sheer quantities, what the power of this is about the spectacle, not the not the, the not the numbers of people there. And it's a, it's a social and political choice to say this represents Britain and this doesn't. Push back on it. Just lastly, just because this comes up a lot, and David Baratta has made this quite eloquently as kind of counter argument, which comes up a lot with Parliament already having nigh absolute power. What would stop the PM and Tories from usurping the power of the monarch? Should Britain? decide to become an actual republic. I find this interesting just because there are other models like, for example, New Zealand and Denmark, I think, or was it Norway, that have um, what's known as a unicameral parliament, but no one would besmirch the democratic credentials of either of those countries, more democratic than this country, but they have more checks and balances. So parliament, you know, the legislature, the legislature, the legislature, uh, has more power vis-a-vis -vis the executive than under our system because at the moment people find themselves clinging on to the unelected House of Lords just as for any check, any checks and balances. So yeah, but it's it's an interesting one because that's what people people think. Well, if you you know, but you've already alluded to the fact that Liberal Italy had a constitutional monarchy and ended up with fascism. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what do you think of that? Because that is an argument that a lot of people, it you know, if there's like twenty to twenty five percent who are Republicans. There's a and maybe like 20, 25% who are really passionate monarchists. There's this big bit in the middle which are just like, what is the alternative then? And that, exactly. that kind of argument, if a Republican movement wants to actually gain headway, it does have to answer those sorts of questions because that's what's putting people off. No, I think that's it. And I think that I think that the reason why King Charles will still be on top of the throne and have successes in England, I think the primary reason is not people love the monarchy or whatever, because that, that can change. And if it does change, I still I still think he'd be there. Why? There's two things. Inertia. People don't like change often. It takes something really extraordinary to change something as big as you know your constitutional system. But then also, like you say, the alternative. And I I, I fail to see even 50% plus one of the country saying, you know what? Let's have a president. Let's have an elected president like the United States, like France. I think there is, I think democratic politics in our lifetimes for sure, Owen is held in uniquely low regard if you look at the sort of last sort of 100 years. You know, this is, a, I think, a real sort of nadir for it. Lots of people don't really think it's very good anymore. And that's embodied with, you know, 
success of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Arab Gulf states, Singapore. There's lots of really high growth, high GDP countries. Well, China's growing, but you get my point. I'm saying, oh, maybe democracy doesn't work. And these arguments come around sort of every 80, 90 years. But now is a moment where it's, I think, it's certainly at strongest since fascism. And, and in, in a way, it's a really strong argument because you're right. Uh, nobody wants to see, you know, President Clarkson or President Beckham. I, I don't, I mean, it, I mean, probably actually in terms of at least representing the popular will, it would be an upgrade on, on, on King Charles. But I don't think that's anybody's sort of like political utopia. I'll commit 20 years of my life to have President Beckham, maybe President Lynch, but, you know, it'd be unlikely. But then there are other systems which are, which are m much more functional. You know, with the Italian presidency, the Irish presidency, where you do have a prime minister and actually you just have quite a sort of scaled back ceremonial role for somebody who's quite a nice person like you have in like you have in Ireland. And I think that is something we could do. But I think most people, understandably, when they think of republics, they think of the US, they think of Blair. But here's the interesting thing, um, actually, Owen, people, the argument is, oh, well, we would have President Boris Johnson. But surely that's an argument for a republic because we just got rid of him. You know, he yeah. was he. He was bad and he was gotten rid of. You couldn't do that with King Charles. That's the point. I always think a really bad argument against democracy is that I might be in a minority and thus lose. Um, a majority have never voted for the Conservatives in the UK in a parliamentary election. So the idea that, what, 50% plus one would vote for the prospect of Boris Johnson. And if you've got such a groundswell of support for someone, then you're just being undemocratic anyway by saying, no, I will not allow the people to impose something because I will be in the minority that rejects it. It's just not a convincing argument against democracy, which is uh, because people often come up with an unpopular person. That's what they do. They say President Blair, but they know if they look at the polling, Blair's, Blair's slightly less popular than cholera in, in much of the country. So, you know, the idea he'd win what, 52% of the vote in a presidential election, he'd look, He'd be lucky to get 25%. Um, Aaron, we've kept you for far too long, but it's just been, as ever, absolutely fascinating to have your wisdom and your takes on the whole shtick. Um, it is obviously, how are, you gonna, how are you spending How are you spending the funeral? What are you going to do? Oh, the funeral. Um, I think at Navarra Media we're working. You know, obviously it's meant to be a bank holiday, but I, I don't think we gave anybody a bank holiday. Yeah, we said, <gasps> we, obviously, if you, want to, if you want to take the time off, you can. Right. Yeah. Well, we also do a four day week. So if people want to not work on the Monday, that's their their thing. But no, we're not doing a bank holiday on, on Monday. Tiski will be back. Michael Walker will be back tomorrow. Even if I have to I'll get the you know the passionate monarchist Michael will be returning. I will be watching just because I'm on my own. I'm, I'm nearly at the stage of picking up a volleyball and painting a face on it and communicating with it. So I'll speak to Michael through just just chat to him through my computer while I'm, you know, trying to write my book. Aaron, it's been a huge honour. So thank you so, so much. Aaron Bastani as ever. Uh, brilliant stuff. I'm sure many of you already follow him on social media and all the rest, but do, 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 if you don't. Lots of love, buddy. I'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Great stuff from Aaron as ever. Brilliant stuff. Um, right, I need to go and write my book. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> um, the, white, the, the phone kind of, it was got a bit, it's gone a bit glitchy again, I can see. But we more or less pulled through, guys. More or less pulled through. I feel pretty smug about that, to be honest with you. Nothing much to, to be smug about in life um, these days. So might as well just cling on to that. Um, we are, uh, I'm hoping to get, I've got some interesting interviews lined up, but actually going to Labour Party conference next week in Liverpool. I'm very excited to go to Liverpool. I love going to Liverpool. It's one of my favourite cities. Um, even though I'm sort of a mank, so that is obviously treachery to my mank roots. No, it's, Liverpool is just an amazing place. 
Labour Party comments, I'm not massively looking forward to, to be honest with you. Um, I am going to do, we are going to film a documentary. You make that possible. That's how we pay um, our videographer to make those films. And then we're going to do another film at Conservative Party conference. Um, and then I'm going to take lots of aspirin um, and have a long lie down. Um, yeah, what I'm interested though is what, I'm interested to know what people want me to ask at Labour and Tory conference. So on Patreon, I'm going to do a thread patreon.com that's how we keep this afloat um and i will um basically i want to know what the people want me to ask mps and delegates and all the rest of it we will chase people we'll literally chase people around if people have seen our last videos at conservative and labor party conference we literally just run um it's a very athletic process get 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 the step count in running after obnoxious oh sorry can't say obnoxious conservative MP, mps because then they might not talk to us in high, in advance obviously we're respectfully talking to them and asking the questions that people need to know yeah we're gonna do it it's gonna be um it's gonna be interesting so yeah do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84 um, and also let me just read out and thank all of the super chats um while I do that. So thanks as ever. So to uh, Tad Cantwell, uh, to Rachel Atwood, to FSM is the dog, uh, to State Daft, uh, to Attila De Six, to David Bowater as ever. Um, I think we already, did I say that already? doesn't matter. Um, have I missed any there? I hope I haven't missed any there. If I have missed someone, just let me know. Oh, we just had another one in. So for example, uh, no Desale, what have you got to say about energy companies sponsoring some of the Labour platforms at the conference? I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> Nothing surprises me about the modern Labour Party because the Labour leadership have um, obviously completely uh, abandoned any general progressive disposition and they are, you know, going to bow down uh, to... To uh, oh Nishat nine one nine seven sorry I missed them and Stephen Simeon Wakeley, uh, yeah to corporate interest I mean the whole shtick of the Labour leadership is to say if you're a corporate interest you're safe under our administration we're not going to do anything to challenge the fundamental distribution of wealth and power in British society. Um, will it work? Well, maybe just because the Conservatives have set themselves on fire. I mean the Conservatives really have done themselves in pretty spectacular. I don't think any can't think of any government in modern history um which has destroyed itself so fundamentally without much help from the outside i mean look at it and then they've put liz truss in who is um ooh, let's kind of hear from liz truss i forgot to put her on actually let's hear liz truss talking a bit of sense i'm not against any of them personally i'm against the idea that people people can be born to rule that people because of the family they're born into should be able to be the head of state of our country i think that's disgraceful I mean, that's a bit cruel because she was younger and everyone, you know, lots of people go on journeys, change their minds. Um, still funny, though. Um, but it is interesting just in terms of how republicanism, you know, actually, I think now a lot of even mainstream liberals who might have championed it have basically treated it as this kind of fringe thing which can't be touched, even though the number in the population has actually gone up. Anyway, anyway, I digress. So we will be going to Labour Party conference and Conservative Party conference. We were doing lots of uh, videos um, coming up. I am finishing my book, which I know I've said for a long time and has driven me to the point of, well, just look at me. <laughs> um, but we're getting there. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks everyone for, for watching on the stream. It's been a real pleasure as ever. I will see you all next week. Probably do a show live on Saturday actually, because I'll be in Liverpool on the Sunday and I don't know how I'm going to record it. So I'll, get back to you on that but we'll we'll do something
All right, lots of love. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 